First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul the Apostle speaking to the Thessalonian church from Corinth, writing this letter, his first of two letters that we have. Paul had been in Thessalonica for a short period of time. We're told in the book of Acts that he was here teaching in the synagogues for three Sabbaths. We're not told exactly how long after that that he was forced to leave Thessalonica, and he was forced to leave there, and he went to Berea, as we see in the book of Acts recorded there. He went on from Berea down to Athens, and then from Athens to Corinth, and he stayed in Corinth for 18 months, we're told. And it's during that time that Paul writes this first and second letter around Somewhere in the early 50s, 51, 52 A.D., by most scholars' opinions, it is apparently the very first of the letters chronologically that we have which Paul had written. By that I mean all of the other letters, even the Gospels, were written after this letter had been written. But it's recorded for us here in the book that we have known as First Thessalonians, in our New Testament record, where we have several of Paul's letters, but certainly not all of them. But I'm so glad that he wrote this one and that it was indeed preserved. In this letter we have a repeated theme, the theme of the Lord's coming again. The second coming of our God, Jesus Christ our Lord is pre- predicted or prophesied in each of the five chapters that we have before us in this one short letter. And so it's important for us to realize that Paul's focus is the second coming of Christ. But he also wants the Thessalonians to live for today. He wants the church at Searsport to live for today. So this letter is so very important for us as a church body, the body of Christ coming together in fellowship with one another and with our Lord and Savior Each time we meet, it is a great opportunity for us to share with one another our faith in Christ, to minister to one another, whatever our needs may happen to be. The body ministry is so very, very needful, and it must continue. Paul focused on that in this letter and in other letters as well, but he also focused on the fact that he had been in Thessalonica for that very short period of time, and yet they had received what he had to share. And he was so grateful for that. And this chapter that we'll look at today talks about the fact that he had spent just a short period of time and that he had told them those things, but it wasn't just the words coming from his mouth as though they were words of men. He tells us here in chapter 2 that it was the very word of God that he was presenting to them. And they received it, and he was grateful for that. Not so with the Christians at Corinth. The Christians at Corinth were a different breed. We had just finished recently our studies in our midweek services, the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And in those letters, Paul was having to address those Christians there who were absolutely confused over who was right with regard to the things that were being told in their congregation. There were those who were saying Paul was not a true apostle. There were those who were trying to uh, bring him down to the point where there was confusion among the people. And he was trying in those letters to set them straight, 
to cause them to realize that he was indeed appointed by the Lord as an apostle, the apostle, to the Gentiles, and he had the authority based on that to teach what he had taught them, and they are to receive what he had said, and they were some of them refusing to do so. So it was a very difficult place for Paul to have been ministering in, but he was there again for the second longest period of time, as recorded in the book of Acts, over all of the places that he had visited. Eighteen months. I'm pretty certain that it was most likely because Jesus visited him early on in his time in Corinth and told him specifically, don't fear, Paul, I've got many people in this city. And that must have been an encouragement to Paul to stick with it, to stay on focus, to be willing to suffer for Christ's sake, as he did in almost every place that he went. Remember, he had been beaten in Philippi. The bruises and the scars were still on his body as he left Philippi to go to Thessalonica. They had seen the kind of things that he had to endure. And that never stopped. But Paul was still committed to preach God's Word. What a brave soul he was. It had to be the Spirit of God who dwelt in him and helped him. And he does the same for all of us if we are willing to let him. And so I encourage you to listen as Paul relates all of those things that he had to deal with, all of those things that he was pleased to share, and all of those things that he received from the Thessalonian church as a result of his having been so faithful to the ministry that God had called him to. Verse 1 of chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't fruitless. It wasn't emptiness. It was not in vain, he says. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. That word conflict is the Greek word agony. And we get our English word agony from it. That's what it means. It's agonizing over the things that has been, have been happening to you. It's not fun being an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul would say, and, and if he were here to tell you. But he did it because he loved you and me and those that he had been visiting in all of the places that he had gone. He loved God most of all and wanted to serve God. He was compelled to proclaim the good news, friends. And I pray that each one of us, myself included, would always feel that sense of compelling to teach others, to proclaim the truth to share the gospel message to all who would listen to our voices when we speak of how much God has done for us. Paul was doing that, had done that in this city of Thessalonica, and he's reminding them, I was there in much persecution, in many trials, in much conflict, but I was there because I wanted to proclaim the good news. And God had given him, by the Spirit of God, the boldness to do so. He goes on in verse 3 to says, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. As was the case with so many orators of the day, they would speak things that were not true, and they would do it in such a a wonderful flowery voice or presentation that was so awesome to the hearers that they believed everything they were told. Friends, we must not believe everything we're told. We must always compare what we're told by what is spoken in the Word of God because this is God's Word of truth to us. And 
The Bible itself says, let God be true and every man a liar. There is no one who can present anything to us if it does not agree with what God's Word says that we would be willing to accept in this place. No one, not even an angel who proclaims some new thing, no one, let that one who does such things be anathema, Paul tells us. And that means, let him be accursed. Paul is saying, I didn't come to speak things that are pleasing men. And there are those who are in pulpits all around this, this nation and perhaps all around the world that love to tickle the ears of their listeners. Paul warned against that. He says, don't listen to those who are ear ticklers. Don't listen to those who are trying to please men. Doing it for the wrong reason. Standing in the pulpits, proclaiming what they are saying as God's Word when it is nothing to do with God's Word. And we only, because we know God's Word, are able to resist such things if we listen, if we pay attention. You will know if something is error coming from my lips. I pray that that does not happen. But if it does, tell me you think it's wrong. And then we can discuss it. And then we'll find out from God's Word whether I'm right or whether you were misunderstanding what I was saying or if you had some misunderstanding of what God's Word does say or I had some misunderstanding of what God's Word does say. I'm not opposed to being challenged with what I tell you. I am opposed to you taking what I say and twisting it and going out there somewhere in the world and proclaiming that Norm said this when Norm did not say this. You understand what I'm saying? I want us to be absolutely certain of what we believe and what we hear as the very Word of God as it goes forth. I pray that it reaches every heart and that should be every one of our prayer collectively that the Word of God would go forth in power and not return to Him void. Paul was saying, I presented all of these words of the Gospel not pleasing men, but God. I want to please God. I want to please Him above all else. I want to be able to leave this place every time I speak the Word of God and know that what I have spoken was from God. Now, I know that that's not always possible. I know I get in the way of God a lot of times. I hope you realize that. I'm human, and I'm not perfect, but I know God is, and I know God can use whatever is spoken if it is spoken according to His Word. I have trust in that. I may not be the greatest orator. I don't want to make that claim. I'm just a simpleton, but I do know God's Word. And I know God's Word because I read God's Word, and I think all of us should be exactly that way in our approach that we would know God's Word because we have read God's Word and we have heard God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Paul knew that well. He's saying, I did not come to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Is my heart the heart for God? I think there's no doubt in my mind. That's my desire. That's my goal. I want to have a heart always for God. Am I perfect in that? Daily? Moment by moment? Are you? (laughs) So there. Verse 5 says, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, 
as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Paul's saying, look, God was there all the time when I spoke with you. He's witness to all that I said. There was nothing in what I said that was cloaked in unrighteousness or covetousness. I didn't do it for personal gain. There are some who do. God help them. Paul did not, neither should any of us. Verse 6 says, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostle of Christ. Paul said, look, as an apostle, I could have come to you and said, hey, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. You've got to listen to me. You've got to pay attention. You've got to take care of me as I minister to you. You've got to do for me more than you have ever done for anybody else because I'm a great apostle of Jesus Christ. He could have said that. But of course that would be wrong, and he did not say that. It would be wrong for any of us to say, I'm better than you. Think not more highly of yourself than you should, Paul tells us. And I live by that statement. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. I live by that statement. That's what we should all be doing. Paul did it. And Paul says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. I wish that I could say, always be imitators of me. But I always have to add, as I imitate Christ. Do what I do if I do what is right to do. And if I don't do what is right, then don't do what I do. And let me know that I shouldn't be doing what I do. Do you have that down? Good. We move on. Verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you, Paul says. We were gentle. We were kind. We were easy on you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Look at the love that Paul is demonstrating here to the Thessalonian church. Relating his ministry to them as a mother to her newborn child. That's precious. That's wonderful. Cherishing the child the way a mother does is something that Paul considered to be what every minister should be doing with the people that he or she ministers to. He was gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Does a nursing mother say, no, I'm not going to feed you today? Does a nursing mother ever say, no, I'm not going to change your diaper? Is a nursing mother only working nine to five? I remember one time when Jared was just a newborn and Sandy had been up all night with him and I had been snoring all night with me. Well, she's in the middle of the night standing by our bedside and I hear the baby crying and I wake up out of a deep sleep and I listen for a second or two with great compassion. I said, why don't you feed him? And she said, I just did. She had. And he was still crying. But that's my compassion story. I'm not a nursing mother. She was. And she was doing her best to calm him. It wasn't her fault that he was crying. I blamed him for it afterwards. I said, don't you do that again. <laughs> but he did. There was another time when we were in bed together and Jared comes into our bedroom in the middle of the night 
and shakes me a little bit to wake me up. He had had a bad dream. And I had such compassion on him. I laid my hand on his shoulder. I prayed a prayer and I said, now go back to bed. He turned and went around on the other side of the bed where Sandy was and woke her up. And she demonstrated compassion by meeting his need and calming him down. That's cherishing. That's what a mother does. And we'll talk about fathers later. The fathers aren't all bad, like I just described. But in this case, what Paul is saying is, I was like a nursing mother to you. I cherished everything about you as my own children. Verse 8 says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. That doesn't happen overnight. So that's why I believe that Paul spent more than just three weeks there. He's going to tell us that he spent a lot more time than just a few hours with them. Listen to what he says in verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. Night and day, Paul was there for them. He was telling them all that he was able to tell them, all that they wanted to know, and they didn't reserve the time slot between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Every moment of his awake time was devoted to proclaiming the news that he wanted them to hear. He didn't quit. He didn't leave the job and go home. He kept up in the ministry as long as he was asked to do what he was doing. He was willing to do it. Laboring night and day. Verse 10, he says, For you are my witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Now, there, that's, that's about me, okay? So he comforts like a father comforts the son, like I did that night when I patted my son on the head and I said, oh, okay, I'll pray a prayer and go to bed now. No, that's more than that. Comfort one another is such a, an important aspect of what we are in Christ. We should seek to comfort one another. Paul tells us in Second Corinthians that God is the God of all comfort. And because He is the God of all comfort, He comforts us so that we can comfort others who are in need of comforting. It goes on. It's cyclical. It is something that we should pass on and be willing to receive as well as to give out. Comfort one another with these words. Paul says, I comforted you, though I charged every one of you because I insist that you learn to live for Christ. That is my goal, that I teach from the Word of God so that you know how to live for Him. I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ to study the Word of God, to show yourself approved unto Him. I charge you in the name of the Lord to minister to one another and love one another as Christ loved the church. I charge you to live and love your life as a believer and show it to others by shining light and being the salt that you should be in the dark world. He says in verse 12, so that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Do you know that God calls you into His kingdom? He called you. He called me. 
He called the Thessalonians. He called the Corinthians. He called the Ephesians. He called people who were willing to hear and to receive. He called you. He knows your name. We sang that song today. You have a father. He knows your name. That should be precious thoughts to you as you reflect on the words that you had sung this morning. The words that you had heard being sung if you weren't singing it yourself. He has called you into His kingdom. That's great news. I'm not worthy of it. But He says, you should walk worthy of God. Take note of that word. Be worthy. But I'm not worthy. But you are worthy. Only because He finds worth in you. I can't explain that. I look around and I see nothing more than what I see when I look in the mirror. Sinfulness. Yes, I do see sin. Everywhere I look. It's only because we all are, by nature, sinful. But I also see a covering. I see righteousness. Because not your righteousness, but God's righteousness. Jesus has imparted unto you, by faith in what He has accomplished, His own righteousness. And each one of you is shining the brightness of the righteousness of Christ. I'm so pleased to know that you and I are all of us called into His kingdom and glory. It's good to know these things, friends. In a trying day in which we are living, in the difficult times that we have to face, we can know that there is a kingdom and it is already in place. (laughs) We pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, Lord, let it be so. But even now, even before He establishes His kingdom, we are reigning with Him in Christ's name together because we're joint heirs with Christ. It's an already done deal. It may not have actually physically happened, but it is done in God's eyes. He sees us as being part of His kingdom. He sees, it, sees each one of us as His own children, adopted into His family. What a wonderful blessing it is to know that God has poured out such benefit to us. Are we thankful? Are we realizing the wonderful glory that is ours in this present age as well as in the age to come? That's what Paul was conveying to this Thessalonian church. All of those things that he had taught them, all of those things that he had shared with them, were not done to bring glory to himself. They were done to bring glory to God. He wasn't puffing himself up as the apostle. You've got to listen to me. He was just saying, I am an apostle of God who sent me to tell you these things so that you could worship Him and Him alone. So that you could believe in Him and Him alone. So that you could trust His Word and His Word alone. And people of God, that is what we are here for today. 
So the result of all of that which Paul had done in Thessalonica is given to us in the following verses. He says in verse 13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You received. Take note of what Paul is saying. There's a fact here that we all need to be embracing for our own benefit, in our own lives. You received the very Word of God. That's powerful. He spoke through the prophets. In the last days, He has spoken through His Son. The writer of Hebrews tells us very, very wonderfully that God in sundry times in the past... He did speak through His prophets. The Old Testament Word of God. He spoke through them. And in these last days, He's spoken through His own Son, Jesus Christ, who is the very image of God. Think about it. Jesus and the apostles blessed us with such wonderful revelation that we have that's recorded for us in these New Testament Scriptures that is reminding us constantly by the Spirit of God who dwells in us that His Word is true. He's coming again. And we'll look at that again as we continue on in our study this morning. But He's reminding the Thessalonian church that they received this Word gladly. It wasn't just the words of men, He says. It was the very Word of God. He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. Remember, this is the very first of the Scriptures that are now in our New Testament. The New Testament had not yet been written. Paul did not refer to Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. He didn't refer to Peter's letters. He didn't refer to John's letter. He didn't refer to the book of Revelation. He had none of those to refer to. He had the book of Hosea. He had the book of Isaiah. He had Jeremiah. He had Exodus and Genesis. He had Leviticus. He had Deuteronomy. He had the history books. He had the Psalms. He had the Proverbs. He had Daniel. He had all of those wonderful words of God that were spoken by the prophets in times past. That was what he had presented to them. That is what they received. Some might be trying to convince people today that you can't teach salvation out of the Old Testament. Well, my friends, I'm sorry if you hear that and believe it. You're wrong. It's not true. The Old Testament is replete with all kinds of wonderful, wonderful statements regarding salvation. But they were pointing to Christ. They hadn't yet been fulfilled in the Old Testament, but they were there. And all they had to do was read it. And all of us who can read it and look back at what has already taken place, we can say, wow, that word is true. That word is powerful. That word is the word of God. And it's complete. It's complete now. The book of the New Testament has been recorded for you and for me to know the entire revelation that God wanted all of us to have in these last days so that we can proclaim this good news to others. We have such great benefit, more than Paul did, to proclaim the truth. What we know now in this present age is far more than what the Thessalonians knew because they didn't know what was going to happen to the nation of Israel. They didn't know what was going to happen when the Romans 
destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple. They didn't know what would take place in 1948 when Israel became a new nation once again after having been almost two centuries or rather 2,000 years, a little less than that, without any land to call their own. They didn't know what was going to take place in these last days. We do. And we can look back throughout history and we can see God's Word showed us that's what's going to happen. God's Word confirmed that everything that we've seen in the past that has already taken place is indeed what God had demonstrated would be done. And because of all of that confidence that we have in what has already taken place, we have great confidence in what is yet to come. We have a great advantage over those in Paul's day. But they had a good advantage as well because they had the apostles and the prophets to know what God had said. And they believed it. It is the Word of God. And it worked effectively in them because they believed it. That's the thing we need to remember. They received the Word. So should we. He goes on to say in verse 14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they may be saved." so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Look at what Paul says again in verse 14, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. They imitated what they saw in others. Look around. There are many of us here in this room who should be imitators of those others who are more perhaps mature in our faith, we should all of us be imitators of one another. And we should not be afraid to be an imitator of each other if we are imitators of Christ. Do you understand? Paul has said, you received the Word of God from us. That's a good thing. Now you're imitators of what you have seen in others. That's what we should be also. As long as others are imitators of Christ. Don't be imitating the wrong people, friends. Make sure you know what God's Word declares. And if there is any of us in our midst who are going down a path that is not in line with what the Word of God says, don't be imitators of that one. Paul said there were those who were against this Word of truth. They were men and women, Jews, in Judea, who were against Christ, who came against the people of God that wanted to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that He alone was the one who was to come and there was no other, is no other, the Messiah, the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament Scripture. Yes, He's the one. Paul proved through the Word of God that Jesus is the Messiah. He went to Isaiah 53. He went to Psalm 22. He went to all of the Scriptures that spoke of the suffering Savior. And he pointed out to them, that was Christ. He fulfilled that. He went to all of the various promises of the one who was to come to sit on David's throne. 
the one who would be reigning supreme over all the world. He read the Psalms. 146 through 150, proclaiming the fact that the Lord has come to reign. And he said, that's Jesus. Believe it. Receive it. They did. And as such, they were willing to understand that it was their responsibility to live for Him and not to allow anything that would hinder them in their walk of faith. Persecution, it matters not. They're wrong. You're right. Don't worry about being persecuted. Don't worry about being accused of believing in myths. Don't worry about those who would be antagonistic against you because of your faith. Some of us are going to Augusta tomorrow to give testimony in opposition to a bill that we are all aware of, a bill that allows abortion up till the very day of birth. We're opposed to that, and we will speak our opposition to that. There will be those in the midst of those wonderful testimonies of believers like myself and others who are going with me, and others who will go there from various churches who will stand for this one truth, that abortion is wrong, and it needs to be absolutely opposed, with no compromise, But there are people who will look at you and think, Oh, you are so backwards. Oh, you believe in this Bible that says, Wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say that it's okay for if a man hits a woman who is pregnant and the child dies, that all that's responsible for that one is to pay some money for the damage? Well, if that's the case, then why is abortion so bad? Abortion is so bad because it's very much like the offering of their babies that were born and offered up to the god Molech and burned in a fire. That's aborting a child after childbirth. Their blood was shed, and so is the blood of every child, whether from the womb or even out of the womb. It's still the same. Blood is shed. God's Word says the life is in the blood. He makes no exceptions. God says, I knew you from the time that you were formed in your mother's womb. You think about what God's Word says and try to convince others of anything different than this. And you're not opposed to what you should be opposed to if you're not willing to say, this is what God's Word says. And I feel sorry for those who have gone through such a procedure. There's forgiveness. And there is no reason why any one of us who has either known of or has been through it ourselves, ladies, you are forgiven. And God is faithful. Always has been. He always will be. But that does not remain so for those who are living as though there is no God. There's punishment coming for those who have said, I don't think that the life of my baby in my womb is as great a value as everybody says he or she is. I don't even think that that is a person in me. It's just tissue. That's because they have believed a lie. It's not what God's Word says. Read Psalm 139. 
I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and so are you. And so I was so wonderfully pleased to know that my mother didn't abort me. And how many children who have been aborted would have become great people in society? I've diverted. And I'm sorry, but that's been on my heart, people. And I don't want to forget what God has done in my life. And I want to be grateful for what God has done in my life by proclaiming life is in God's hands, not in the doctors, not in the abortion clinics, but it's in God's hands. Be imitators of Christ. They killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and their babies. They didn't care about life. They thought they were right. They were wrong. They persecuted the church. They thought they were right. They were wrong. They thought they were pleasing God. They were not. They were pleasing the enemy of God. Verse 17 says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Paul wanted to go there and be a part of what was going on in Thessalonica. Take note, though, of what he says. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Listen, Paul knew that it was Satan that kept him from being able to go to Thessalonica. It's not that long a journey from Corinth to Thessalonica. But for some reason, somehow, in some way, Paul recognized that there was a hindering of his being able to do so, and he attributed it not to the Spirit of God, but to Satan. Go back a few chapters in the book of Acts, where Paul is on his second missionary journey, heading out of that region of Asia Minor in Turkey, wanting to go east, and the Spirit of God said, no. He wanted to go north, and the Spirit of Jesus said, no. He knew the difference between the Word of God, the conviction of the Spirit of God in him, and what he experienced in Corinth when he wanted to go to Thessalonica. And I would love to know how it was that Paul actually knew that. I can't tell you how he understood that to be the case. All I can tell you is what he says in this Word of God is that it was the Spirit of God who kept him from going into Bithynia and into the other areas of what is now the area of the Caucasus region, And but he wanted Paul to go instead westward into Europe. And so Paul did that. And think about that. Paul went to Macedonia, and the very first place that he begins to establish a church, he gets beaten to a pulp. I wonder, did Paul think, whoa, maybe I made a mistake, maybe that wasn't the Spirit of God. No, I don't think that at all. I'm convinced that Paul knew exactly why he was having to suffer those things. And he was glad to be able to suffer for Christ's sake. And he went on knowing that that would continue. If we read 2 Corinthians correctly, in chapter 11, Paul suffered shipwreck three times, and that's before the one that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 26. 
Paul was willing to do everything that he did, knowing that there would be persecutions, knowing that there would be difficulties, knowing that there would be trials, knowing that there would be opposition. But he went and he did those things because he knew that serving his God was far better than running from it. Friends, that's a good thing for us to realize and to imitate in this last day. Don't run from opposition. Don't hide from those who would seek to do you harm. Just stand for Christ and know that whatever happens, you're pleasing Him. God will take care of those who are opposed. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Well, verse 17 says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Again, Paul is saying, I really wanted to get there to see you. I really wanted to spend more time with you, but I couldn't. I'm so glad that I get to spend time with you all. And I sure hope that the Lord will allow us both, all of us here in this room and others that may come, to be able to do that in the days ahead. But it may not be that way. It may be that we'll have to be apart for a season. Or more than that, it may be that we'll have to shut this building down because of the laws that are being written in the land. Do you realize that in Canada, that's actually taking place? Pastors are being arrested for their stand against homosexuality? I'm okay with that. If I have to do this work in the prison cell, I want to be willing, as long as God gives me the words to speak, no matter where it might be from. If that's going to be my pulpit, I'll gladly use it. I want that to be the mindset of all of us here. Well, verse 19 says, and we'll wrap up with this particular thought, and it's a wonderful thought. We're coming to a conclusion. Remember, Paul had said, these are the things that I had done while I was with you. I suffered greatly during that time. I was willing to do that because I loved you and I wanted you to know that God loves you and, and wants to care for you like a mother and like a father cares for their children. I wanted you to know that I was willing to come to you in that fashion because I wanted you to know God's Word. And so I presented God's Word as it is in truth God's Word, not just the words of men. I wanted you to know that there was a good thing for you if you put your trust in Him. And that would be eternal life and glory in His kingdom. Paul wanted them to know the gospel truth. And they received it. And they imitated Him. And now Paul says in verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? The bottom line is this, friends. We, all of us, Paul and the Thessalonians and all the other churches that he visited and all of those that have ever been in existence up till this present hour will be with Him in glory. And at His coming, we will have joy. Our hope will have been made complete. And we will receive the crown of rejoicing that is promised to us. This is exciting news that Paul is presenting to Thessalonian church and to us. We have a promise that is ours, that we can claim as ours. It is a promise that will not 
perish. It is a promise that will always be true. It is a promise of His return. Are you looking for His return? Are you waiting for that moment when the glory of Christ will be revealed in the clouds? It won't be my cell phone that's making that trumpet sound. And quite frankly, I don't know how she heard that anyway. I have to say, she's got better ears than I do. It'll be a blast. A true trumpet blast. It will be loud. And it's not just a trumpet, it's a voice that sounds like a trumpet. Remember in John's Gospel, when John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan, and Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and John relates the story about the fact that when Jesus was baptized, and he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, and a voice was heard from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son. I am well pleased in Him. You know what the response of some of the people were? They thought it thundered. Some thought it thundered, John says. But God the Father spoke. And by the way, it's God the Father speaking from heaven, the Son in the waters of Jordan being baptized, and the Holy Spirit coming down upon the Son of God. All three persons of the Trinity are made reference to in that passage. I say that because there are some who say, you should believe in Jesus only. Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. No, Jesus is the Son. And the Father is the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the Father. They are three persons of the Trinity. We've talked about that more often than perhaps we need to. But it's true, even if you and I don't understand it. But Paul is saying, this is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing. All of you, all of the Thessalonians, all of the Corinthians, all of the Ephesians, all of the Galatian church, everywhere the Word of God was received, people believed, people accepted by faith. And all of those who have done by faith that which God calls us all to do, we all will be gathered together in that day. That's our joy. That's our glory. We collectively, because we all believe, because we all receive, because we all were willing to imitate Christ, will be with Him. That's enough for me. That helps me live day by day. I hope it does for you. Because times will get tough. I believe so. But if they do, are we going to be willing to stand firm in our faith? Are we going to be able to say, I believe what God has promised, and I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. Oh, let that be the case for all of us today. And finally, Paul says, as a result of that willingness for us to say, I stand with you, Paul. I stand with you. I believe everything that you have spoken through your word, Lord Jesus. I've received it. I've believed it. I live it. For you are our glory and joy. And I say that about all of you. From my perspective, as I look out in this little audience of believers, you are my joy. You are what I live for. You are part of what I live for. I live for Christ, but because you are Christ's, you are my joy. You are my glory. I have nothing to glory in save Jesus Christ and Him 
crucified. But I want you to know that having the privilege of ministering the Word of God to everyone who comes is such a great honor to me. And I don't take it lightly. I want you to understand that. I want to be like Paul, proclaiming what is really the Word of God, not just my words, but the very Word of God. And I want you to hear the very Word of God and apply it and receive it into your heart and let it completely change your way of thinking with regard to the things that are going on in the world around you if you're believing that it's not worth it, if you're believing that there's no hope for the future, if you're believing that there is no way that I can survive if things get really, really bad, you are not listening to what God's Word is saying to you. You can live for Him. He gives the grace to make it so. All you need to do, all we all need to do is trust in His ability to carry us through, even to the very end. Why should we fear? He's coming. He's coming. He's coming soon. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be ten years from now. But He's coming soon. That's His promise to us. Keep looking up. Your redemption draws nigh. But it's been so long. It's been so many years now. How can I believe something that was said 1950 years ago and apply it to me today? There are a lot of people who are asking that question. Are you one of them? Listen to what Peter says. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, There are those who are going to say in the last days, scoffers will come, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And Peter adds this. He says, For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished by being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for the fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is a thousand years. A thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what we need to remember. It's not His will that any should perish. There's work that still needs to be done. The fullness of Gentiles has not yet come in. There is time still left for the church to represent Him in this dark world by shining a great light, by being the salt that He calls us to be, by proclaiming His truth, by being His ambassadors, by being faithful to what He has called us to. Every one of us is called to serving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every one of us is called to be His disciples. And as His disciples, we have something to say to those who are willing to hear if they would only open their ears. So our prayer is that they are going to be willing to open their ears. Oh Lord, open their ears. Soften their hearts. Open their eyes. Draw them to Yourself, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. 
by the power of your Holy Spirit, O God. Convict souls everywhere of sin and righteousness and judgment. In these last days, let there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit and let there be victory in the church in this present hour. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.